Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we'll be talking about Dublin City Council's plans to rezone a number of industrial estates for housing. And Joe Brennan will assess some decidedly mixed financial results from the leading Irish retail banks this week. Now, but first we're going to start with a roundup of some of the big business news of the week with Pierre Hamilton of the Irish Times. Pierre, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Kieran. Now, we're going to begin with mobile phones. Mobile World Congress uh, was on in Barcelona this week, and this is the big showcase for the mobile phone industry. And we're told that 5G and foldable phones are the future. They're the big thing. They're the end thing at the moment. I suppose Mobile World Congress is this week and it all kind of started last week with Samsung's announcement that they're going to produce this foldable phone for the market. That came in at a price tag of just below $2,000, more than €1,700. Now, it's not available here yet, but it has started off... It's not available anywhere yet. It's not available anywhere yet. But but it started, it seems, well, it appears to have started off this this trend. Mm. Uh, Huawei then this week followed suit with their Mate X foldable device and that's the most expensive mobile or will be the most expensive mobile on the market and it'll retail for almost €2,300. Um, th- it's worth looking back to when Apple kind of started this trend of putting up price of their mobile phones as most people will be aware smartphones are everywhere now they're reaching market saturation so in a bid to uh, to to keep revenues up instead of increasing the number of unit sales they've tried to increase the price so that's what we're seeing across all these mobile phone producers. Uh, What's new about these phones that justifies the price of, let's say, €2,299 for the Huawei Mate X yeah. foldable device? So if we take that one, for example, then, when folded, the the device is a pretty large phone with a 6.6-inch screen, mm. and when it's opened, it turns into a slim tablet with an 8-inch screen. Yeah, and but that's you wouldn't pay, you wouldn't pay 2300 for an iPad. No, indeed you wouldn't. And, I, I, you know, I was just thinking before we came in here that if you consider buying a MacBook Pro, that's about 1500 You can buy an Apple laptop for less than €100, Euro, and they've typically been the most expensive laptops on the market. Yeah. Uh, so, and similarly, as you mentioned there with the iPad, it's far cheaper than this. These, these of course, are, Huawei is in the crosshairs of policymakers and regulators around uh, Europe and the Western world because they're, they stand accused of uh, potentially spying on behalf of the Chinese state. Particularly in the US, I, I suppose the Germans have kind of backed down a bit on that uh, and seem happy to allow Huawei, or Huawei uh, even continue their, their continue trading in mm. that country. Uh, but, but particularly in, in the US, they are in the crosshairs. 
so it, it's interesting these these developments, while not terribly innovative, um, you know, a folding phone isn't like the innovation we saw of ten years ago. Uh, but but they're interesting developments nonetheless, and and there are other other phone makers are trying other All right, things. So, Sony's taking a different tack; they're going up rather than uh, up around rather. the corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they've they're increasing their phone so that yeah. you'll be able to watch their films on it, uh, while Nokia are kind of upping the camera stakes. They have five cameras on the back of their mobile phone. Right. Okay. Well, we'll stay in that space. Air had results out today, actually. And Caroline Lennon, the CEO, uh, very much addressing the issues they've been having around customer services. Yeah, this is quite interesting. I suppose we've seen in the past couple of weeks, particularly in the Irish Times, that customers have been venting their anger at problems in in, uh, Air's customer service. So uh, having been in the spotlight of late, they appear to be listening. And uh, today, Caroline Lennon outlined some of their efforts to tackle its reputation, its poor reputation, it must be said, for customer service. Uh, She said it's one of our key priorities. They recently insourced their customer service uh, operation and Caroline Lennon said that they're nearing the completion of that process and that includes the recruitment of about 750 Mm. customer care roles across regional. I've got an awful feeling I've heard this before from her. You know, year after year, the same themes seem to come up with air, you know, falling revenues, uh, only matched by the fact that they're reducing their operating costs that are just about keeping their head above water in in that uh, respect. But issues around uh, infrastructure and technology and customer services and the quality of their network and and so forth, and they always seem to be spending a fortune Mm. on upgrading the network. This, yeah, exactly. I suppose they've come out with this announcement in different guises a number of times over the past year or so. They've said they're investing over a billion in their network. Mm. And and just to, to pick up on something you said there, earnings increased by 19 million euro uh, and it cut its costs by 32 million. So it is really cutting its costs or it appears to be cutting its costs to the bone. How far they can go with that and how much that can ultimately buoy the company really remains to be seen. All right, now, another company that would pride itself on its customer services, Delata, mm. Ireland's biggest hotel chain, run by Pat McCann, mm. uh, a man of, from the west of Ireland, just like yourself, uh, Peter. They had results out this week, and they were pretty good. They, they were they were quite good. They exceeded analysts' expectations, and their shares rose 4.3% yesterday as a result. So they will be happy with that. Just but to a, a recap. bit of a mixed bag, uh, doing well in Dublin, but the rates perhaps a little softer outside Dublin. Yeah, beating the market rates in Dublin, beating uh, revenue per available room, a key metric in the hotel business. So they're beating that in Dublin. Their occupancy in Dublin was very strong, as you would expect in these times of, uh, you know, of... Uh, a lean number of hotel rooms, if you like. In regional Ireland, uh, the performance wasn't quite as good. They underperformed the, the revenue per available room pri- um, rate. But Pat McCann said that one of their hotels in Galway was out of action during the year, so that would have affected that. Uh, similar story in London. They just were in line with the market there, but underperformed in other places in the UK. Um, perhaps the Brexit effect there, but we don't really know what's Quite interesting, though, and what was interesting for Pat McCann yesterday was that they're now eyeing up big expansion in London. There, he said, he said, don't be surprised if we see them doing deals in the city of London, particularly. You'll remember toward the end of last year that they uh, came to an agreement to uh, a finance agreement of up to seven hundred million euro. So that will perhaps allow them to to be more acquisitive in in the London space. Uh, now, there's nothing in the pipeline yet, he said. Yeah. What is the Brexit impact uh, for Delata and companies in the hotel sector? What was Pat McCann saying about that? 
Well, Pat McCann really dismissed the Brexit impact. He said they've changed their investment criteria every, ever so slightly. Uh, but apart from that, he wasn't too concerned about what Brexit will ultimately bring. Uh, and as for those people running Brexit courses... Uh, spoofers, is that what you're saying? Well, he said, a bunch of spoofers. Well, he said the courses were a load of old rot. Uh, that, that they were his exact words. So uh, Pat McCann, I, I suppose is relatively resolute in the face uh, of Brexit doesn't seem to be terribly concerned about it yeah uh, and well, that's probably lived, his he's manner he's lived through a few recessions he's lived through a few ups and downs he's always the hills Pat McCann when's he retiring well Pat McCann is, is 68 uh, and he has no intention of retiring we, we, I spoke to him yesterday uh, and he said that he told his board that when he becomes the doddery old git they should turf him out but up till that point he plans to stay alright good for him alright Peter thank you for joining us Thanks, Carol. Now, it's results season for our domestic banks and covering them all for, as, as usual, is Joe Brennan of the Irish Times. Joe, you're very welcome to the show. Let's start with Bank of Ireland. They were first out of the traps on Monday with some results that, it's fair to say, underwhelmed the market. Yeah, I mean, Bank of Ireland, um, on, on the positive side, um, for the first time since the beginning of the crisis, actually had managed to build the size of its loan book. Um, to the tune of 1.3 billion, bringing it up to 77 billion. Uh, so each year over the past year. decade, essentially, it's been eroding. The, exactly. I mean, the book has uh, been falling. At the beginning of the crisis, it had a loan book of 136 billion. And What's it now? It's now 77, having grown about 1.3 billion. So it's it's down. It was down about 45 percent from its peak. But the market um, was really focusing, uh, and the share price took a feral hammering. It was down as much as eight percent at one stage on Monday, as the market focused on the uh, the the net interest margin. Now, the net interest margin is basically the difference between the average price at which a bank, at which a bank kind of funds itself in the market or from depositors and the rate at which it lends on to its own customers. Um, and while that had been kind of increasing over the last uh, number of years as banks took a, a, a number of efforts, not least kind of uh, decreasing their own deposit rates, uh, Bank of Ireland's rate, uh, its net interest margin fell from 2.29% in 2017 to 2.2% last year. And it's forecasting that it'll go back again a bit further this year to 2.16. The main kind of area of where uh, uh, the bank actually kind of uh, took a hit on margins was in the UK market, in, in the UK mortgage market, which had become increasingly competitive late last year. And you know yourself the way... So they're having to drop prices. Exactly. Um, uh, now, the bank, the problem with the bank is that um, last June, when it came out with a, a load of medium term kind of forecasts, one of the areas it was looking at was was growing the, the UK loan book by 10% between now and 2021. In the face of growing competition in the UK, also Brexit. question mark over what will happen to the market uh, amid Brexit. And I think analysts kind of took a view that the, the UK forecasts were a bit on the kind of optimistic yeah. side. And when you're seeing margin like this, contracting like this, it only adds to that, that, that questioning. And yet Andrew Keating, the CFO at Bank of Ireland, came out and said that mortgage prices here are likely to go up rather than down. There has been a trend uh, downwards uh, in the last uh, few years. And ECB rates are staying the same. Why, why is this happening? Yeah, if nothing else, I mean, ECB rates, if you looked about six months ago, I think the market had expected that the ECB would move on rates towards the back end of this year. That's been pushed way out. 2020, 2021. And that's because of fundamentals in the He's talking 2022 um, before the ECB starts uh, introducing rates. So it's kind of, it would raise a question as to why a bank will be looking to or think that uh, that interest rates would have to increase. And it's saying that basically the long term, it, 
92%. Bank of Ireland is really kind of pushes the whole fixed rate mortgage rather than the standard variable rate. 92% of, of new loans that Bank of Ireland was issuing is in the fixed rate uh, market. And it's saying that, look at five to 10-year money. If it's offering rates, it's long-term fixed rates between five and ten years, that cost is is going up, and it has to it has to reflect that because it has to find that 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 funding initially, and also Irish banks. The big thing about Irish banks, if you look at standard variable rates, it's it's a long bugbear for 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 people in Ireland that the the, the average rate uh, yeah. for standard variables is about three percent. The eurozone argue, eurozone is about one point eight. It speaks to the lack of competition in the market. You mentioned the UK market and the fact that they're. The rates are coming down in the UK because of competition. They have to move in the UK because of competition. If they hold their line, then they're simply not going to win the business of customers, are they? And if the same situation persisted in Ireland, uh, presumably we would have the same dynamic. But because Bank of Ireland and AIB dominate the market, the mortgage market here, they must have, what, over half of the market between the two of them? 60%. Yeah. But you look at, I mean... I mean, they're increasing the rates because they can. Well, that and you have the fact that Irish banks have to hold way more capital against on their balance sheet against mortgages. Uh, that's than, kind of noise. Well, if you look, fringe, no, no, if you look at it, risk weight assets. If you look at in Ireland, you uh, Irish banks have to hold three times as much capital yeah, against. Well, uh, that's what yeah, you have to fund I, against. And Joe, also, Joe, Joe risk weighted assets. Come on, <laughs> come on. That's what it comes. Who down goes to. into a bank? And says, I'd like to apply for a mortgage, please. That's what it comes down to. It comes down to what you can price a mortgage at. Yeah. So okay. risk, risk weighted assets, they don't appear in any uh, mortgage application. Anyway, um, PTSB, again, a mixed bag of results. They were out this morning. Yeah, uh, PTSB, um, if you look at the kind of the, the, the pre-exceptional figure, it looks, it's up about 45% to, uh, this is a pre-tax figure, 45% to 94 million euros is all uh, down carefully, in, in Ray Gordon's carefully crafted press release to announce the results. <laughs> and then you find that they had to book a 91 million euro exceptional charge. And that largely relates to, uh, 66 million of that relates to, they, they sold off uh, two portfolios of, of so non-performing, non-performing loans. loans and they took a charge of about 66 million uh, against that. And they also increased the uh, provisions they set aside for the tracker mortgage crisis uh, to 20 million uh, last year. They were one of the first to have to address their the, the mortgage crisis. Um, back in 2015, they took a, a provision of about 145 um, million. So they're also... Uh, the chief executive of the group has confirmed for the first time officially that uh, they expect that the bank will receive a fine from the central bank. We know that the central bank has been carrying out enforcement investigations against the six main mortgage lenders in the market in relation to the tracker scandal. Mm, okay, what did he have to say about interest rates? Uh, very little. They weren't uh, saying anything about. Uh, they weren't certainly weren't backing uh, Bank of Ireland in terms of uh, forecasting interest rate increase. And they've been quite aggressive in the the market, actually, haven't they? Yeah, they've gained market share. Yeah, and and what's really kind of driven the market share for them is the uh, 2% uh, cashback, which they offer to borrowers on on drawdown. They saw that, I mean, at the low point in the market when when they were uh, severely loss-making, they only had 2% of the market. Now they're about 15%. And the increase Mm. in their their mortgage lending was about 43% versus the market that only grew about 20%. By the way, the Competition Authority, what view are they taking on Bank of Ireland coming out and saying the mortgage uh, rates might rise? Because you might recall, maybe a year ago, insurers used to talk about uh, where premiums were going to go in the coming year. And uh, the Competition Authority came out and said, well, you know, this amounts to, or could amount to signalling. Um, it's much longer than and, that. It was late 2016 and we've seen nothing come of that. That's 
that's gone nowhere. Okay. Um, but, but the insurers, said, for sure, the insurers now don't come out and say anything about uh, where uh, premiums are going to go up yeah. down or so sideways. If you, if you think back two, three years ago, interest, uh, insurance premiums were only going one direction. And, you know, the first question they were asked is, where do you see premiums going? And uh, you had the, the, the Competition Authority uh, launch an investigation into that. They said now, following the comments from, from the Bank of Ireland chief executive in terms of where uh, the industry's uh, interest rates may be going, uh, that they're monitoring developments and they are aware of his yeah. comments. because if you're in a rival bank, you say, oh, Bank of Ireland going to put the rates up, I might put my rates up. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, FBD quickly. FBD out uh, this morning. Uh, general Insurance Company, Irish owned, uh, doubling their dividend. Yeah, doubling their dividend. Um, um, their earnings or their profits uh, was pretty stagnant at fifteen million. It was up slightly from the previous year. Now that reflects the fact that they took a sixty million euro cost in relation to restructuring a bailout bond that was uh, was bought by uh, Fairfax Financial, a, a Toronto-based institution, a few years ago. And basically, FBD refinanced that last year, bought back the bond, and also bought back the right of Fairfax to convert yeah, to its bond. Into 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 a, almost a twenty percent uh, stake in what, in, what about in the storms we had? What storm Emma? Last storm year? Emma, yeah. Um, the cost relation to that wasn't too high. It was about uh, I think the net cost was six point three million. Um, also, the figures were flattered somewhat by the fact that they're releasing provisions that were taken in previous years against uh, loan loss claims. I think they released about twenty almost 29 uh, million euros of, of, of such provisions last year, which helped to kind of boost the bottom line. Okay, and AIB is out on Friday. What should we be looking for there? AIB out on Friday looking for uh, the, the, the state of the loan book. Um, we've seen Bank of Ireland, its loan book, uh, growing last year for the first time since the crisis. It'll be interesting to see what AIB is saying about its loan book. Uh, also interesting to see what it says about its dividend policy. And hopefully we'll have some news on the CFO. Sure. And of course, Bank of Ireland did increase the dividend, which is uh, some small good news for taxpayers, given that we still own 14% of the bank. Yeah, but no sign of selling off that share anytime soon when it's trading at a, a deep discount to, it, uh, to what it, how it values its own assets. Great. OK, Joe Brennan, thank you for that. A comprehensive roundup there of the financial results of the various banks uh, so far this week. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to Brendan Kenny of Dublin City Council about its plans to rezone industrial estates for housing purposes. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Remember, you can download this podcast for free on iTunes or you can tune in via our website at irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, up to two thirds of Dublin's city's industrial estates and business parks could be redeveloped for housing under new plans from Dublin City Council. The council's head of housing, Brendan Kenny, last year said the city would run out of residentially zoned development land in four years and must turn its attention to industrial estates as a source of new housing. And I'm delighted to say that Brendan Kenny joins me by phone. Brendan, you're very Welcome to Inside Business. Thank you. Tell us first of all about your plan in relation to industrial estates. Well, I think the first thing, Kieran, when, we, when, when I say that we're running out of land, I mean land that Dublin City Council owns and is suitable for housing in the city. Uh, there's plenty of land in the city, but we don't own it. So uh, in four years' time, we'll have very little land to build social housing on, for example. 
So one of the uh, options for us going forward is, and it's something that's been contemplated for a while, is the possible rezoning or, or a variation of development plan in respect of industrial sites in the city, particularly industrial estates that are older, uh, where there's uh, uh, low density and so on, and many of them are actually in very strategic locations throughout the city. And you have three or four in mind, don't you? Well, there's a good few in mind, and I think there are some new industrial estates in the city, more on the outskirts of the city, that you know that the city council wouldn't be talking about. It's more the ones, for example, you know, parts of Nace Road, uh, Kymo Road, and Ballyfermot, Glasnevin. Uh, there's some out near Darndale and Coolock, and uh, there are a number of other ones, Davit Road, and so on. Uh, that uh, are very strategically located near near loose line and near public transport and all that and could make a big difference uh, in respect of housing going forward. Okay, we'll come to the housing issue in a moment, but let's just talk about the industrial estates. Obviously, uh, you know, large acreage is occupied, I suppose some of it probably isn't, but a, lar- a large amount of it will be occupied. Where are those businesses going to go? Well, that's an issue that you know the city council has to be very careful of. Uh, you know, we have to make sure that uh, we're not... Um, uh, offloading or displacing employment. Uh, uh, in in some cases, these industrial estates uh, or dusting buildings are, are empty, are vacant, and uh, may be used be used for purposes that create very little employment. So we have to be very conscious of that. Now, while housing is a really serious issue and we need to get more housing in the city, uh, we, we're very concerned about employment as well. But the idea is to get a balance. And if we're building large um, uh, residential developments in these areas, there'll be need for shops and there'll be need for hotels and cafes and so on. So the idea is to be creating a new form of employment. All right. Presumably it'll affect your rate space as well. Yeah, but that's not our that, that's not our biggest concern. Uh, obviously, race space is always a concern for our local authority because that's where we get most of our money from. But uh, the biggest issue of the day and the biggest issue going, going forward in the next few years in Dublin is is housing. Uh, there is a crisis in the city, and we need to find uh, different ways of, uh, of of providing that. And the green fields that we used to have before are nearly all gone. Okay, so I think. Of the sites that you've had a look at, something like 65% of them potentially could uh, be freed up for housing. How many acres are we talking about and potentially how many housing units could we be talking about? I don't know the exact acreage, uh, Karen, on it, but like, like you're talking about thousands of apartments and it's apartments only that, you know, that could be built in the city uh, from now on. So you're talking about literally, you know, 10, 15, maybe, maybe 20,000 ultimately that could be built on these sites throughout the city. Maybe 20,000, right. Yes. Okay, I mean, that's a substantial number. What kind of heights are we talking about then for these apartments? How high are they going to have to go? Well, again, we don't know that. Uh, you know, planning permission have to be got. And one of the issues about this is that the, 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 this land at the moment is owned by private developers. They're owned by uh, many different people. Uh, you know, you don't have industrial estates owned by one individual. Uh, so the fact that the city council will come along and rezone or change the zoning on it doesn't mean housing is going to spring up overnight. Uh, the, these owners are going to have to come together and try and pull all that together as well. Uh, but we'll be getting as, as, as much height as possible. Uh, the only way, uh, you know, we need to get more heights in the city. But mm. it depends on where they are located. And if if they're located right beside low-rise uh, two-story houses, well, then we may not be able to get as much height as one would like. But certainly there'll be five, six storeys uh, or more. Okay. And in, in the city centre, maybe down around the docks area, that type of thing, 
Capital Doc uh, Inside Business actually went along to Capital Doc a few weeks ago, and there's I think 22 uh, floors in Capital oh, Doc. Absolutely, like in areas of the Docklands and other parts of the city. Yes, uh, we'll be going uh, uh, much higher. There are parts of the city that's crying out for greater heights, and it's the only way to do it going forward. But some of these industrial states would be located in areas where most of the properties, including residential mm. properties, are low rise, so we may not be able to get the type of uh, heights that you will get in other parts of the city. So in suburbs, you might be talking about five or six stories, but yes. in the city centre, maybe as high as 20 or, or more? Again, it, it, like, if, like if you're talking about the Nace Road or Davit mm. Road, you know, going along the canal, uh, you may be able to get higher. But there's some industrial states like the one in Glasnevin and the one in Kylemore Road and Valley Farmers that, uh, uh, you know, it's right in the middle or right beside lower-rise residential. So it, it, it depends on each one and the planners will give due, due consideration. It's not a case of just uh, going flat out to get height uh, uh, everywhere, but we certainly have to get much higher than what it has been in the past. And this would, the aim would be to make this available for social and affordable or would it be private homes as well? Homes that are simply going to be sold to well, market or maybe even built to rent? I think all forms of housing, you know, uh, uh, home ownership, um, 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 some social or cost rental. But the thing to remember here is we don't own this land. The, owners own, the land is owned by the private sector, by private developers. Uh, and the most we can get out of uh, those kind of residential developments at the moment is 10%, you know, under the Part 5 legislation. So we will be getting 10%. The other thing we have to obviously be very careful of, that we're not creating a windfall, a massive windfall for some private owners. Mm. And at the How same do you time, avoid that? Well, that's something that's going to, that has to be teased out. Like This is not going to happen overnight. The City Council will be bringing a report to, um, back to the Council in, in the coming months on it. Uh, but the, the, idea, you know, the idea that this would create a major windfall and, and create a lot of residential uh, units in the city that wouldn't be affordable for anybody, I don't think we can allow that to happen either. Now, a lot of people will be asking the question as why we're not moving Dublin Port, because that's probably the biggest industrial estate in the country, or certainly in the city anyway. It's a vast acreage, it's very close to the city. Over the years, uh, the city has crept out to meet it. And there have been proposals in the past uh, to move the port uh, just north of uh, Balbriggan, I know. So why not look at Dublin Port? Well, that's been looked at before, Kieran, as, as you're well aware, and it has been considered and it has been fairly controversial, so uh, all indications are that's not going to happen now, and the port has been developed, and it's been developed very well, so I, I really don't see that happening. I think there's other possibilities in the city uh, for, for residential developments like that, but I don't see the port moving, no. Right, okay. How long might it take for this plan to come to fruition with a, a fair wind at your back, Brendan? Well, that, that's always a problem. You know, the, the whole process is slow. Uh, what, what the city council plan, for the city council planning department are doing here is to try and get the first stage to get a variation to the city development plan, and hopefully things can move then. But uh, over the next five, six years, you'll see some of these developments happening. There's no reason why they couldn't happen fairly quickly. And if the private sector are interested, uh, they're, they're much faster at doing things than what we would be. But there's a whole lot of issues to be teased out yet in relation to windfalls and affordability, all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is it opens up a possibility of a significant amount of residential development right smack in the middle of the city that uh, otherwise we wouldn't have much uh, option to do. And presumably property developers... Have, I presume property developers have been in touch with you. I mean, they must be in favour of this plan, no? 
Of course, yeah, absolutely. But they're going to have to go out, they're going to have to negotiate with individual owners and all that. A plan, a master plan has been put together uh, and, uh, you know, the planners will be ensuring that these developments are done properly because uh, in, in, in the past, these areas were all zoned for industry, for jobs and all that. And at, at one stage, they were on the outskirts of the city, but they're very much now part of the urban environment. Um, so I, I, I would expect, and won't be the city council developing these sites, it'll be the private sector. And I think the private sector, when they, when they get going, they can do things uh, uh, very quickly. Right. And just in terms of the difference in values, let's say, Brendan, between uh, being an industrial site, being zoned for industrial as opposed to being zoned for residential, what is the difference in monetary terms, roughly? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the answer at the top of my head for that. Uh, uh, it, it depends. Um, like, uh, what we're talking about here are mainly the older industrial buildings that uh, many of them wouldn't be fit for purpose anymore. Uh, the low rise, they're taking up a, a vast amount of land. Um, you know, compared to, say, if you see some of the new industrial estates along the M50, you know, the modern buildings, they're high, it's high density and all that. So these, these, these are different. Um, but certainly for um, the money and, and the, 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 the amount of money people are going to get out of this, the one thing we want to avoid is that we don't get a whole lot of residential in five, ten years' time and they're not affordable. So some mechanisms are going to have to put in place that, that you know, makes development of these areas viable for developers, but at the same time that uh, they're not running off for a major windfall. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to avoid, it's though. History, difficult, history yes, kind yeah. of tells us that, doesn't it? It's, it's going to be difficult, and uh, like, like there's, there's, it's going to be a land in the city already owned by private developers, and people wondering why it's not being developed, and it's not being developed because it's not viable for developers to do it. Uh, they, they're not confident that they'll get the, the, the profit that they need out of it, uh, and construction costs are very, very, very high at the moment uh, in the city. So, you know, all, all those kind of things have to be teased out. But certainly, uh, these are serious tracts of land that would attract uh, private developers, and we have to find mechanisms to make sure then that a significant element of this residential can make an impact in the city uh, at, at the level that uh, a lot of people just can't compete in the market at the moment. Brendan, can I just ask you how many uh, units uh, were constructed in Dublin City for, uh, let's say, social and affordable housing last year? Well, there was nothing done on affordable housing. We haven't built anything uh, in 2018 for affordable housing, even though the Okulon approved housing body, our, our, our housing association, did build some in Ballymun, but ourselves, we didn't build anything. Our target for a new build in 2018 was 271 units, and we built 264, which, you know, just left a, a gap of minus seven. Uh, and 282 then was built by the approved housing bodies. And 105 came to part five. Okay. That's just around 400. About 400, right. So about uh, a little over 660 units between those, yeah. between those uh, categories. What about the private sector? How many did they deliver? Well, as I said earlier, we, we got uh, 105 to part five. Uh, which meant we got 10% of everything that was built by the private sector, which means that the private sector uh, only completed uh, uh, just over 1,000 in the city. And, and also, like the, there's 11,000 uh, units that have planning permission in the private sector, so an awful lot more could have been done. Now, there's a lot underway, but uh, only 105 came to us, which meant that uh, there was only about just over 1,000 built by the private sector in the city and an awful lot more is needed and there's potential for an awful lot more. Right. How many acres would Dublin City uh, itself own, Dublin City Council own to develop? Uh, at the moment, we, we own 120 hectares of land, roughly 120 hectares of land in the city uh, that's uh, owned by ourselves and zoned and suitable for housing. 
And of that 120, there's about 95 hectares of that that's already in the pipeline over the next three to four years. When I say in the pipeline, it's in planning or it's in construction or a tender stage or, or whatever. And the remaining 30 hectares of that is, uh, is located in areas like Ballymun, Cherry Orchard and, and the Darrandale Coolock area, areas that have a very, very high concentration of social housing already. So despite the crisis, we'd be very reluctant to go out and build high-rise, high-density social housing in those areas. So there are probably the areas where we would go for cost rental and affordable housing and concentration on social housing in other areas. And on the 95 hectares that you say are in the pipeline, how many units could be delivered on those? Uh, over 9,000. 9,200, I think, is the target, and we hope to go beyond that. We're also in the business, if we can, even though it's hard to compete, to buy land. We've bought some small sites in recent times, but uh, the, the opportunity to buy land uh, going forward would be uh, very, very, very scarce. So that's the point we're making, that in four or five years' time, uh, our ability to build on the, the, the traditional um, uh, greenfield or brownfield sites will be gone, and that's why uh, industrial estates around the city will become so, so much more important. And Brendan, just to put into context for our listeners, how many housing units in Dublin, in Dublin City, would be required every year to meet demand, in both in terms of public and private? Again, I don't have that figure to hand. If, if, if I'd known you were looking for I would have got that, but uh, it's an awful lot more than what we're doing. Right. And like if, you, if you look at you know, what we're doing, we're looking at what the private sector is doing. We got 104 part five Mm. Um, uh, dwellings and very welcome uh, in, in really some of the really good better areas of the city in 2018. So that me- that means if we got 10 percent, that there was only a thousand uh, new residential uh, development uh, residential units built in the city. And the reality is at the moment there's 11,000 planning applications out there or planning permissions but there was only 1,000 uh, completed in 2018. Now, things are improving, but mm. it just shows you that you know, we need to be getting an awful lot more than what we're getting. Would you hope for more this year? Oh, absolutely. It's getting bigger all the time, absolutely. There'll be far more this year, and there'll be more the year after, and there'll be more the year after that. And we will, get, we will solve the issue in Dublin, but it's very, very, very slow, and we're still catching up on, on a period you know, between 2008 and 2016, really nearly an eight-year period when there was very little built, either in the public sector or in the private sector and we're trying to catch up on that okay so how long to solve this issue three to five years in 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 our view right okay well uh, given that we've had a decade of you know very little happening in some cases nothing happening in some some years three to five years perhaps uh well if you're waiting on housing at the moment three to five years doesn't uh, is, is a long time no, I away think but we'll be, i think we'll make good progress this year next year uh, and 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 year year and the years beyond that, it depends where people are at. Uh, you know whether people can uh, afford to buy in the private market. If the private sector builds more uh, and there's more supply out there, we'd hope the prices will come down and that people, like what they could do, you know, 10, 15 years ago, go out and private, buy a private house in certain parts of the city or in the county, and they find it very hard to do that. But uh, yet there's a lot of stuff happening and there's plenty of money there. There's no shortage of money, so it's a case of just. Uh, uh, making it happen as fast as possible. I think three to five years will make a huge difference. All right, Brendan, we wish you well in that mission and uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Joe Brennan and Brendan Kenny. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. You can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.